So we just started a few weeks ago into a new series on the Sermon on the Mount, a new kingdom. And last week we kind of did an overview of the Beatitudes, who most of you have probably heard of, most of you have probably read really well. You can probably even quote them. In this Sunday, we're getting into some of the detail here in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. So if you've got your Bibles, or you can look on the screen, um, that's where we're going to be primarily focusing our time on this morning. But before we do that, why don't we go ahead and pray? Um, as Kerry reminded us, we need to pray. We need to pray to the God of the universe who cares about you, cares about every single detail of our lives, cares about us enough to drop a bush shelter in the pouring rain. That's amazing. But God is that good. Yes, that bush shelter was already there, but, and he, but he also knew Kerry would be coming up the hill praying, I need shelter at that particular time. Uh, and just the little things like that encourage me that God cares intensely about you and I. So let's pray before we look into his word. Father, we want to thank you and praise you just for who you are today. I pray this morning as we open up your word, I pray we would be awestruck with the wonder of you. Lord Jesus, as we try to discover or rediscover your words and your ways and how you lived and what you said, what you did, who you spoke to, who you hung out with, I pray, Jesus, you would just penetrate our hearts by your spirit today. I pray you would fill us with excitement for you, Jesus. You'd fill us with a desire just to follow you more closely, perhaps even for the first time, to turn our lives over to you. King Jesus, we want to lift your name high this morning. I pray that all that's said and done for the rest of this morning would bring you honour and glory and praise. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Just check, check and make sure you're all awake. We're going to do that every five or six minutes or so, just to wake up some of you guys. No, I'm joking. I, I know none of you really fall asleep on a Sunday morning. You just study the inside of your eyelids. Right, Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 to 12. We're going to go ahead and read through that, and then we'll see what God's got for us this morning. It'd be helpful if I could see it, sorry. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As we were looking at this last week, we we saw that 
the kingdom was announced to the nobodies of this world. The kingdom was announced to the lowest of the low, the beggars, the outcasts, the lepers, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sick, the infirm, the unwanted by family or society. And those who were unable to access God in the usual way to worship in the temple because they were classes unclean. These are the people who, in Matthew chapter 5, that Jesus announces the kingdom of heaven is here. And we said last week that Matthew chapter 5 is the start of the subversive revolution, the upside-down kingdom of Jesus, where the outcast and sinner are welcomed in. But where our own ideas and our Western value system is destroyed by his words. And if we're going to take the words of Jesus here seriously, as we journey through the Sermon on the Mount over the coming months, this is going to require radical reorientation of our lives. What we hold dear, what we deem is important, what priorities we have in our lives. The words of Jesus, if we take them seriously and at face value for what he says, that has to be our response. But we're not called to do that thinking like the Pharisees did, oh, look at them over there. We're called to that together in community, in love with one another, building one another up. My hope and prayer is that's, that's what comes as a result of this. So we see here in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, blessed, be blessed. It says here in Matthew 5 too, he began to teach them. He began to teach them. And to get an idea of what that meant to them, we have to flip to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 28. Right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he's finished talking. You'll notice all of 5, 6, and 7 is pretty much red letters in your Bible. In Matthew 7, 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were, crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. They saw something was different. Keep your finger there, flip to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, 18, this is the very end of Jesus' ministry. Just before he returns to heaven, he says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he, he teaches them, not just as someone else they'd already heard, but he teaches as one who has authority. And in Matthew 28, he says, I have all authority. I have all authority in heaven and earth. Jesus is the ultimate authority on every subject, everything in this universe, full stop. Jesus has the ultimate authority over my life and over your life. Whether, you, whether you've ever surrendered your life to him before, that's still a fact. Jesus is the ultimate authority. So therefore, when Jesus speaks, we need to sit up and listen. We need to have this, this, this same attitude to those who are in front of him here, who were so enthralled by what he had to say. And when he'd finished speaking, they're like, wow. Did, did you hear that? They're saying to their friend next to them, wow. Did, did you hear what he had to say about that? Well, I've never heard anyone speak that way before. When we come to the words of Jesus, this is how we need to be. I think we've become over-familiar with Jesus. We've become over-familiar with the Jesus we created in our own heads, not the Jesus of the Gospels. 
Because when we come back to the Jesus of the Gospels, we're like those people at the end of chapter 7, we're like, wow, did I just read that? Did he really say that? Does that really mean that? And that does one or two things. That will either depress us and send us into a tailspin because, because we don't want to do, we don't want to commit to Jesus as he's asking us. Or that will just excite us. And I think our, our primary concern as Christians, as followers of Jesus, is to be excited for him. We can talk about everything else and lots of stuff that we talk about is important, but I think the primary purpose of our lives is to be excited about Jesus. I don't know how many of you have had small children or you've played with small children with glitter before. Don't you just love glitter? And then someone came up with this crazy idea, let's put it in glue. That's not going to get anywhere less, is it? Of course not, it's just going to be glitter glue pastered everywhere that you just can't get off. It goes everywhere, doesn't it? You find it in your hair, you find it in your socks three days later, you find it everywhere. You hoover it up, it just doesn't, it doesn't hoover up off the carpet. You come in two days later and the carpet will be glittered everywhere. I'm convinced that when we're excited about Jesus, that's what it's like. It, it's, it's viral. It, it, it sticks to people. It sticks to stuff. People see it. They can't help but see it when we're excited about Jesus. But we've become flippant. We've become too overfamiliar. It's just something else in the long stream of stuff in my life. Our primary goal, I'm convinced, is let's get excited about Jesus. Let's get back to the Jesus of Scripture and be excited by who he was, what he said, what he did for you and I. The Jesus that wants to take our breath away every morning we wake up. The Jesus that, that when, we, when, I, when I contemplate what he says and what he does, the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. You need to be excited about this, about this Jesus, about this king that has ultimate authority. And we know at the end of that passage in Matthew 28, he then tells them, I have all authority and teach them to obey. So if he has the ultimate authority, not only should we be excited about him, we need to just get down and obey what he says because of who he is. Interestingly, um, as I study for this, you come across a number of things and I'll give the credit where it's due. This is, I've come across this in a podcast I was listening to of Tim Mackey. Some of you have seen, have seen the Bible Project videos. They're really great. And the guy there, Tim Mackey, he's got a number of podcasts. But this one, he, he's this Greek and Hebrew Bible nerd, he calls himself, which I'm not. So, uh, so but anyway, we, we do this. We, we, we listen to what other people have got to say. We read other books. And apparently, 100 years before Jesus, there was another guy called Jesus. And his name was Jesus ben Sira, And he also pronounced nine blessings. hundred years earlier, same name, pronounced nine blessings. And these were accepted into the Jewish way of life. They still are. And, and in, in some, some other forms of Christianity, lots of his writings are still, still revered. And, and they, they, they're not can canonical. They're not in our canon of scripture. But in, in other forms of Christianity, some of his writings are. And he was quite a clever chap. But these are his nine, his nine blessings. Remember we said last week the idea of blessings wasn't new in this culture. If you read through the Psalms, the Psalm that Georgia read today, 
Blessed is the man who... This, this was not new. So here's nine blessings. I think we've got them there on the screen, hopefully. I can think of nine whom I would call blessed and a tenth my tongue proclaims. A man who can rejoice in his children. A man who lives to see the downfall of his foes. Blessed is the man who lives with a sensible wife and the one who does not plough with ox and donkey together. Blessed is the one who does not sin with a tongue and the one who has not served an inferior. Blessed is the one who finds a friend and the one who speaks to attentive listeners. How great is the one who finds wisdom, but none is superior to the one who fears the Lord. So if you just have a cursory glance over that, you might think, oh, that's quite good. Most of those sound quite good. But if we delve into it, we see that the blessings that Jesus pronounces here are very, very different to this. One of the ones that, that Jesus Ben Sira said is, blessed is the man who lives to see the downfall of his foes. Doesn't sound very much like the Jesus we know. The one who says, pray for your enemies. The one who says, which we're going to come across in a few weeks, when a Roman soldier says, you need to carry my bag a mile, you say, I'll carry it too. Not quite, don't quite understand the bit about ox and donkey together, but that's fine, I'm not a farmer. Would like to be, but not yet. Um, the, then he goes on, he says, blessed is the one who has not served an inferior. That's not the ways of the Jesus I know. The ways of the Jesus we know is the one that humbled himself to the lowest of the low to be a servant to all. He came not to be served, but to be a servant. Then he says, the one who speaks to attentive listeners. So the, so the one who's heard, the, the one who's proclaimed, who feels good because you like what I've got to say. Again, that's not the ways of Jesus. But we can read through this because we're so entrenched even now in this culture, in this culture of, you know, God helps those who help themselves kind of thing that, that actually, well, an eye for an eye, surely. We come to that in a few weeks as well. Well, no, I, I, look at, I, I, I'm not going to help them out because they've never helped me. Or, or I'm not going to do this because, because they've done that to me. Not the ways of Jesus. And you can imagine these people here that are at the feet of Jesus, they would have heard of Jesus ben Sirah. They would have heard his blessings. They would have known his blessings. And being the people they were, they would have known that they're excluded from every single one of them. Because they don't have power for people to listen to them. No one listens to them. They don't see the downfall of their foes. They're the ones that were oppressed by the rich people. No one's got time to listen to them. Serving inferior, they're the lowest of the low. There is no one more inferior than them. And you can imagine when Jesus starts pronouncing blessings, this crowd is probably thinking, wow, here we go again. I thought this chap was worth listening to, but obviously not. But then he, Jesus does what he does best. He turns it all completely on its head. These nine blessings that Jesus pronounces are so intrinsically linked to God's heart for justice in the world and for his people. Completely the opposite to what these people had ever experienced before. And as we look into these nine blessings here in these 12 verses, 
Jesus is saying and pronouncing them to the people in front of him. And they have truth and value for us today. But they're also, I suppose, you could almost say, as we look each one in turn, you see the face of Jesus. Because collectively, they show the character of him. The one who is here proclaiming his kingdom on earth. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Every single one of those mirrors the life of Jesus. And in, in lots of ink has been spilled and lots of people have said lots of things about the Beatitudes over the years. And sometimes they're, they're almost a, 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 a to-do book a list of this is how I need to live. But if we separated these words from the person who spoke them, they become impossible. An impossible ideal that we can never, ever live up to. But when we put Jesus in the center, everything becomes possible. So we're going to look at the first three here in verses two to five, three to five. So we see here, Jesus says first in verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. He reiterates that phrase at the end in verse 10, just so that people know theirs is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is coming to you. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And who do we know that is poor in spirit? Who do we know who's the ultimate model of powerlessness, of vulnerability, of dependency? Flip over if you can in your Bibles or it's on the screen. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Let's read verse 6 and 7 of Philippians 2. Talking about Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And verse 8, continue and read, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Jesus, when he pronounces these, and he pronounces blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who are materially poor, but also spiritually poor in that none of these people are even able to access the temple, or access the worship of everybody else. And here we see he chooses not the ones who look the part, but those who are discarded, those who are poor in every dimension. And he says, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Not the people you think, not the people who look the part, not the people who parade through the streets, but you. And then connected with that one, he says in verse, here in verse for blessed are the mourners, for they will be comforted. And here, we're talking about mourners, we're talking about those who have experienced real loss. Those who have experienced real loss. 
But also, if we're talking also by definition a picture of Jesus, what does he mourn about? What does Jesus mourn about even today? What does he mourn about? He mourns about injustice. And really, you get the inference here that those who mourn are those who choose not to numb the pain of injustice all around them with Netflix, with Instagram, with whatever it might be. But those who feel the weight of it and strive to act, strive to do something about it. Our series in James, we said, true faith needs to make a tangible difference in somebody else's life or it's not faith. And we sing that song, don't we? Break a heart for what breaks yours. Are we willing to go that far with Jesus? Are we truly willing to be broken, to mourn for the injustice around us, to mourn for those who don't yet know Jesus, to mourn for our family and our friends, to mourn for those who who are suffering and in pain, as he does. Then here in verse 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who put others first, those who portray gentleness and humility. The essence of a passage in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14. Let's look at that quickly. Colossians chapter 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. The meek here in Matthew chapter 5, those who Paul's talking to at Colossae, He's saying the primary goal is not self-interest, but the interest of the other. And Paul says, you need to clothe yourselves in this. This is something we need to to actually put on. We actually need to actively seek out to be this type of person. It doesn't happen by accident. When we're full of the Holy Spirit at the moment we, we surrender our lives to him, we still need to allow him to work in our lives. We've said before, I know for a lot of my life, my spiritual life was me kicking back on a sun lounger and moaning at the Holy Spirit when I messed up. I don't know if that sounds familiar to you. Moaning in when when I couldn't grapple with this sin or I I couldn't defeat that or or stuff wasn't going as I wanted it to. I thought, well, this is your job to fix it all. No, it's not. He gives us the strength. He gives us the power through him living within us to clothe ourselves in meekness. And to live with these attitudes here that we've looked at, these three here, is exactly what Christ expects of us. Remember, this is the one who has ultimate authority. This is the one that says to his disciples, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. He has the ultimate authority and our job is to obey. But he says, I I haven't left you rudderless. I'm living a life of an example for you. 
And, and I'm not saying this to make you feel bad about yourself, to, to look at your life, to think, well, this is unattainable for me. But I'm saying this to show you that by faith, through me, all of this is possible. All of this is possible. Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, verse 35, all this is possible, but we need to let go. We need to understand that the vision is Jesus. We need to understand that the only way is Jesus. Mark 8, 35 says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Galatians 2.20, Paul picks up on a, on a similar theme. When he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then finally, as we come to a close here, Philippians 1.21. Just very simply, Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Following Jesus, living for Jesus isn't about giving stuff up. It's not about saying, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do that. It's about being in a whirlwind relationship with the king of the universe who loves you, loves you so much he'll send you a bus stop in the rain when you need it who loves you so much that he'll comfort you when you actually are mourning at the loss of a loved one, who loves you so much that the words he says, he says, he doesn't just say this for, to make a load of commands for us to, to, to blindly follow. He says this because he loves us, because he knows us. He created us. He understands you more than you know yourself. But how do we do this? In the upside-down kingdom, we let go. In the upside-down kingdom, we give up our lives for Jesus. And the more of him we have, the more blessed we are. But how? How do we do this? How do we get to this place? How do we even begin to, to imagine that our life might be different? The root of all of our following, we've been saying for a number of weeks, and thank you, Kerry, for reminding us again today, has to be prayer. It has to be prayer, and it has to be Jesus. The vision is Jesus. The vision is only Jesus. And I'll be honest with you. God is not letting this go. He is not letting this go. We can, we can continue on our own lives and our own schedules to, to ignore him. I, I, I've been there and done it for most of my life. Or we can listen to words like that. Look at scriptures like we've looked at today and jump in with both feet and say, what the heck? This is Jesus. This is the king of the universe who has all authority, who is in control of it whether we choose to follow him or not. And he's burdened my heart so much 
Some days I can hardly breathe, it feels like. This is Jesus. We need to get to the right view of who he is. We've created, I know in my own mind for years, I created an image of Jesus that is not the image that we see here, that is not the subversive revolutionary, knocking down power structures, seeking out those who everyone else has rejected. And my heart and prayer is that as we journey together, as we journey together through this Sermon on the Mount, and if you're, you're joining us in the, the Rediscovering Jesus study, in your own time or as a life group, my heart is where we come back to the words of Jesus. We come back to his ways and we say, this Jesus is the one I want to follow. This Jesus is the one who I'm willing to risk it all for. This Jesus is the one, as the, the, the wordsmith there said, I've got tattooed on my back for, to live as Christ and to die as gain. He's got to be this much to us. If we want to see revival in our hearts and in this place, across our city, across our nation, in our homes, with our family that don't yet know him, this is how important this has to be. It's not going to happen any other way. And I know we have problems and we have trials and we have struggles, but at some point he's got to trump all of that because he does anyway. At some point, we've got to let him in to the darkest crevices of our lives, the, the parts of our lives that we're even scared to go. And say, just have it. Just have it all. And we're called to work that out together. The beauty of it is God's flung us all together from literally the four corners of the earth. People who, in any other circumstance, probably would not even be in a place to have a conversation together. And he's put us here Truly, I believe, as Mordecai said to Esther, for such a time as this, you are not here by coincidence. We do not gather here on a Sunday by coincidence. His spirit is on the move in this place, and it's up to us to say, okay, it's time I let go. It's time I let you have it all. And as we think about that and as we continue to contemplate what that means, we're going to come into a time of communion, which really is the ultimate way for us to look at Jesus. And as we look, in at, look at communion, I want to read you those verses from Philippians chapter 2 once again, which really, really bring it home, home to me. And we'll go ahead and read from verse 5 through to verse 11 there in Philippians. And there was our stewards come. Verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to use to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. 
and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This passage here in Philippians, as we come, as our stewards come, as we partake of communion, as our stewards are here and they're, they're passing it out, why, why don't we just collectively on our own pray, say, say to Jesus, what if? What if it was only you? What if my life was only about you? What if, what, what, what if I let go of it all for you and for you alone? What if I could stand with Paul and say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? And be honest and say, Lord Jesus, I'm not there yet, but by your power and your strength, I want to be there. Let's make a commitment between us and him today. Let's take a commitment while we're partaking of the bread and the juice today. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and pray. I'm going to pray, and then our Barry and our stewards are going to come round and pass out the bread and the juice. Father, we want to thank you and praise you for your goodness and your love and your mercy towards us. Is that song that we've sung often says it's all about you, Jesus. Our lives need to be that way. That passage we've just read in Philippians, we thank you, Father, that you exalted your son to the highest place, that gave him a name above all names, that at your feet everyone should bow. And everyone will. So, Lord, we bow our hearts to you today. If we've never trusted you in our life before, Lord, we come before you this morning with open hands and open hearts today. If we've shut you out for so long, if we've known of you in the past, we open our hearts and our hands to you once again. If the worries of this life has got us down, we open our hearts and our hands to you once again. And I pray, Jesus, by your spirit, you would move amongst us in power and might and strength. You would comfort those who are mourning, who are hurting, who are in pain. You would be with those who've been rejected by everyone else. You would lift up our eyes to see where our strength comes from today. And Jesus, might our lives be completely and utterly sold out for you. We thank you for who you were we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the example you left us. And we thank you, Jesus, that you went to the cross in our place. And we thank you that we're able to celebrate that freely at this communion table this morning. We want to bless your name this morning. We want to honour you with our lips and with our lives. Lord Jesus, we praise you. We ask all this in your name. Amen.